You're listening to The Public Discourse, a podcast by the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs. This is the second episode of our mini-series, Resilience in the Face of Adversity, where we ask how the coronavirus health crisis reveals insights about the values that bind us together. This episode features Delara Merfanian in conversation with Hannah Marazzi, a writer and stakeholder officer with the think tank Cardis, Eric Farr, a PhD student in religion at the University of Toronto, and Esther Maloney, executive director of the Illumin Media Project in Toronto. They will be talking about the power of religion and spirituality to help people to think and act in new ways in the context of the coronavirus health crisis. To start us off, I wanted to ask you each to please introduce yourselves and share a little bit of your background with us. So if I can start with Hannah, please. My name is Hannah Marazzi, and I'm a stakeholder officer at CARDIS, which is Canada's only faith-based think tank. I'm also a board director at a local refugee shelter and furniture bank called Matthew House Ottawa. Thank you, Hannah. Welcome, and so nice to have you here with us today. Uh, Eric, would you like to share? My name is Eric Farr. Uh, I'm a PhD student uh, at the University of Toronto's Department for the Study of Religion, um, and I'm also involved in a number of uh, educational initiatives that the Baha'i community organizes. My name is Esther Maloney. I'm a mom to an active three-year-old, and I'm the founding director of Illumin Media Project, which is a grassroots initiative working with youth in Toronto neighborhoods, thinking about narrative content that can be uplifting and uh, we draw our inspiration from the efforts of the global Baha'i community. Wonderful. Thank you all for, for taking the time today. And if we start us off, basically, I wanted to start with Hannah, if I can ask you, Hannah, I know you have worked in the area of community building with faith-based organizations, and most recently with CARDIS, which you mentioned. How do you think religion is helping people to approach this crisis? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, as a, as a think tank, we've recently just done some research with the Angus Reid Institute on how COVID is affecting Canadians, particularly from a faith-based perspective. So just before our call, I took a look at, um, at the research and it, it was very interesting to see that one in five Canadians say they personally or someone they know uh, someone close to them has been supported by a faith institution since the coronavirus began spreading. Um, and among Canadians who pray, which is about 59% of the population overall, more than one uh, in five say that they are turning to prayer more since uh, the pandemic gripped the country. And for those who are steeped in faith, prayer has been a very important source of relief and comfort in dealing with feelings of isolation, depression, and uncertainty. And I know Personally, I've noticed that the people around me are revisiting more of what it means to be human. So when I look around me, when I listen to those that I have phone calls with, I'm beginning to see a return to thinking about really important questions like, what do I put my hope in? What responsibility do I have towards my neighbor? How can I reorient my life according to what deeply matters? So, yeah. And Esther, 
you work with a media project that helps young people produce narratives that relate spiritual concepts to their daily lives. How are you seeing religion and spirituality help people close to you, your neighbors and uh, your, you know, your friends to live in this new reality? But when I think about the work related to Illumin, one of the things that we were doing before COVID-19 uh, was to be in schools and in contexts where we could have meaningful conversations with young people about their lives. And the content that we've been sharing is rooted in spiritual themes. And one of the things that we always kind of championed was that we wanted to sit and have a face-to-face -face conversation about media content rather than be isolated on our screens as we tend to be when we're taking in narrative content. So I think when COVID-19 hit, there was a real kind of surge of people saying, well, we need uplifting content. We need media that's going to kind of help connect us, that's going to support our mental health, that's going to bring us together. And we had the content, so we were able to kind of just say, why don't we come online together and watch something and have a meaningful discussion? So for example, one of the first episodes is about this idea that humanity is at a critical point in history where we are going through our collective maturity, even though there are so many signs of suffering and crisis. So it felt like a very rich conversation to have with young people. And I think in that way, that spiritual concept allowed us to go a little bit deeper than you know, how are you guys doing? Are you scared? Are you washing your hands? Um, and being able to access something a little bit more profound about how do we actually understand the trajectory that humanity is on. And then in terms of my own, my own neighborhood or my own community, there is a group of friends that are also mothers. And I think many of us felt initially quite overwhelmed with being at home with our children full time and also managing responsibilities at work. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful as a gift to be with your family so much, but of course it brings new tests and challenges. So I think a few of us felt like over a text conversation, we were wanting to come together. And so after the kids go to bed once a week, we just gather over, you know, an online platform and have the chance to say some prayers together. And Eric, um, you are a graduate student, as you mentioned, in religious studies, and you're thinking a lot about how religion informs the way we are approaching the present moment. And at a time of crisis like this, this allows us to think about ourselves and society in new ways, which is part of what we're all you know, sharing so far. So what role do you think religion has in helping us to imagine the world in a different way? Yeah, we can think about religion's contribution uh, in a couple of ways. Um, on one level, I think religion provides humanity with uh, language and concepts and ideas that allow us to understand um, our purpose and to articulate our purpose in light of the changing circumstances of history. Uh, it allows us to identify problems that we experience, to kind of recognize injustice and call it by its name. It allows us also to um, identify possibilities, uh, new possibilities, because it situates us within a context in which the, the immediate material surroundings that we live in are actually not 
not the only and not even in a way the most important um, context that we that we live in. Uh, to think about maybe a couple of examples, um, and I appreciated how the, the question that you posed helps us think about this both at the level of kind of individuals, but then also at the level of collectives and of society. So you think about kind of the, the role that um, suffering plays uh, in many of the great religious traditions of the world. Uh, suffering is given um, kind of a, a generative function in human beings' lives. Suffering, you know, if I think about my own life, those moments in which I kind of experienced the most personal growth that gave me kind of a depth of understanding or that I didn't have before, uh, it was those moments in which uh, I went through the, the greatest challenges of my, of my life. You know, one of the things that I think religion gives us, and I, I think it was Esther that kind of touched on this, is it helps us see history as having some sort of direction, some sort of, you know, moral arc or some sort of trajectory that, that uh, is, is forward moving and not forward moving in the sense of kind of unending, just sort of material progress, but that there is a meaning to history and that these crises that humanity is facing, you know, in this, in this global pandemic, what, what are some of the capacities that humanity is being called to develop? What are some of the um, gross uh, inequities and injustices that have been there all the time, that have been there some kind of, you know, it's not like they're new, but somehow this, this crisis is, uh, is accelerating those inequities or revealing them in a new kind of way. And so that, that's kind of a powerful thing that, that I think religion can provide. Maybe one other thing is in addition to kind of ideas and language and concepts, Religion also gives like concrete structures to learn about these things. It doesn't just kind of give a bunch of uh, abstract concepts that then you kind of need to negotiate on your own, but it gives actually, like, you know, it creates communities. It creates institutions that actually uh, can serve. And of course, not all religious communities function this way. You know, there's, this is not, uh, this is in a way sort of a, an ideal, I hope, as, as of how kind of many religious communities would see their existence, but it it creates a space in which we can actually learn what the translation of these spiritual concepts and ideals looks like in reality. Um, so these kind of new conditions of social distancing, of, of great fear, of, of death, of loneliness, kind of exposing the loneliness that has been there all the time. Um, religions are learning in new ways how to respond to these challenges and how to help for example, kind of the, the passage to the next world in a, in, a, in a new kind of way. So hopefully, I think at its best, that's what those are some of the things that religion can contribute to helping us navigate uh, a crisis like the one that we're in, we're in right now. I just want to say um, to Eric, I, I find, yeah, you, you put such um, generous parameters of language around around um, how religion can help us navigate this time. So I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. And as a Christian, I would say, I believe I come from God and I am returning to God. I believe that God gives me all that I have and that it's never really mine, but it is something for me to steward while I am here on earth. And so I can say that, but I think COVID-19 has provided me with an opportunity to embody that or to to recheck in with myself to say, does my life, do my actions, 
do my words, um, do my prayers, do my thoughts reflect what I say I believe and what I have been taught to believe and what I am being invited to engage in a little deeper? But if we were to return to, um, you know, how should we be thinking about the most vulnerable at this time? I loved this question. I'm on the board of a refugee shelter and furniture bank named Matthew House, uh, which is located right here in Ottawa, which I mentioned previously. And our vision and mission is rooted in my Christian faith tradition. And there's this verse in the Bible, Matthew 25, 35, that reads, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. So my faith has actually provided me, I feel, particularly for these times, a, a wonderful blueprint of how to be thinking of and serving and accompanying and learning from the most vulnerable. And so this is a wonderful invitation to reestablish that consciousness. But in reality, it should be a consciousness we have all the year round. It shouldn't be prompted by a pandemic. Um, so that's that's what I've been thinking about in regards to the most vulnerable. I, I know that this time will eventually come to an end and I'm asking myself, I'm asking my community of faith, I'm asking my neighbors and my family to think, how can we, if this is an enduring call in our faith, how can we retain and extend this consciousness beyond this pandemic? Yes. I think we are all asking ourselves that definitely because it has brought up these questions for all of us and also the awareness of all of these things around us and also you know the connections like you mentioned of you know near and far and and really learning to reach out to one another and in relation to that and as you mentioned neighbors I, I'm going to ask Esther in your neighborhood um, when we're talking about connection this this will be suited what opportunities are you seeing um, to find new kinds of connections with people how are you seeing the role of the community emerge in response to this crisis? I live in essentially what is an artist co-op. So um, there's an awareness that everyone in this building is an artist. And as such, like there's a Facebook group, there's many ways in which people kind of keep in touch within the building. Like I even have a neighbor that lives above me and the balconies kind of overlap in such a way that our two toddlers can speak to each other from their balconies. So we're thinking to install maybe a bell where they can call each other out and just have their, their sort of social moment, but at a distance. Another thing that happened is that there's a, an opera singer in our building and she's phenomenal. And she decided to do 19 concerts for COVID-19 uh, for 19 days in a row. So she stood on her balcony and she started singing and um, these are beautiful arias and she's incredible. So we're living in a very like a high rise type of neighborhood and a lot of the buildings are quite new and we're facing a condo. Um, so you can imagine it's also a very different income bracket, the, the building that we're facing. Um, and then you have these artists kind of on, on the other side. And so when she comes out, she also has this beautiful poster and it says, you are not alone. And it's very striking to see all of these condo owners also coming out onto their balconies and everyone facing one another on their balconies across the street and um, cheering for each other. And I think she was inspired by what she saw in Italy. So I think we can also see how worldwide resilience is contagious and how communities themselves can kind of catch this sense of, you know, not everything is shut down and there are many ways that we can care for one another. And, you know, as Hannah said, there's always that hope that this will change, it will evolve. 
And I think many people are saying, we don't want to go back to normal. What we want is a new normal. And that is such a tremendous prompt for this moment in our collective history is what should that new normal be? And, you know, God willing, this, this moment, this crisis we're passing through is shaping that desire for people in very deep ways. Can I uh, say something about that? <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's so, um, it's so helpful to hear such a concrete example of, of this kind of, of this community, this, this small uh, geographic area kind of looking into itself for the resources that it needs to survive this pandemic in a way. I mean, it, in a way, the COVID-19 situation is, is, giving us an opportunity to kind of mine the depths of the communities that we already live in. We're, we're very used to kind of in our, in the, you know, in, in the cities that I've lived in, like going all the way across the city for this like particular entertainment or particular, you know, food or whatever, whatever it is, like we go all over the place to get the things that we need. But often um, those things that we need uh, are kind of right in sort of, you know, in the next apartment. And it allows actually our, our needs actually to be shaped less by just kind of whatever I want at any particular moment uh, and to be more like, okay, well, what, what are the resources that are there and how do, I, how do I shape kind of the things that I actually want by what's available and what are kind of the talents and capacities of the people in the community that I live in. So then there's also this interesting connection between sort of the the, the resources, the richness of the communities that we live in in our immediate surroundings or um, or kind of identifying, you know, where are there actually like huge gaps in the resources of the community that I live in? I'd just like to ask kind of the conversation partners, as as each of you were talking, I was you, you probably saw me reaching for a pen because I was trying to write down resilience is contagious. And I thought this will leave my mind if I don't write it down. But do you feel that the needs that are being expressed are almost being released and have been held for a long time. So I feel sometimes when I'm, when I'm listening to people finally admit what they need, I wonder, I wonder if subconsciously they've had that need for a long time and they've wanted to ask it, but the conditions haven't been right. The social norms haven't allowed them to even maybe perhaps be conscious of the fact that they want to, to ask for a need. I wanted to know, I'm so curious from other people in other communities, the nature of the requests that you're seeing. Are they immediate? Are they sudden? Are they onset? Are they enduring? My sense is that a lot of times these material needs that we have are actually portals to deeper spiritual needs that are about connection. Because if I suddenly get to bring you your groceries every week, then we're in a dialogue and we can make jokes about how all the milk was gone again or, you know, whatever sort of weekly mundane things come up around that task. I don't say that to minimize also the material need. The material need is very real. But sometimes I wonder if actually when we have the guts to say, yeah, I need some help. There's, there's always a deeper need. There's a spiritual need as well for connection. If it feels like there's an element of society. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm thinking mainly of the society that 
that we live in. It's the one I have the most experience with. Um, but there's just many elements of this society that are that feel kind of um, like an illusion, like the illusion of stability, the illusion of security. And you just see like like a moment like this just it doesn't create precariousness in people's lives. It just sort of reveals actually how precarious so so many many people's uh, economic lives are, say. It reveals just how unsustainable, um, you know, the way that kind of food is distributed uh, across a city. Um, these are things that we, we already know in a way, but they, but they're, they're somehow the, the urgency um, of, of this particular moment that we're in just kind of casts them into starker relief and maybe gives us an opportunity to, to reflect and, and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully imagine a new normal as, as Esther was saying. Yeah. Because, because it's sort of, it's, it's kind of helping us to, to see through some of these illusory aspects of our, of our everyday lives, I think that are hidden for, for, for many of us. Um, of course, many people, uh, live their everyday lives very much aware of these of these challenges but there's there's something about society kind of paints over these for the for for a lot of the population um eric and maybe i can ask one question as well since this like spiritual dimension topic has come up as well can you talk a little bit more about how we think about the role of religion and spirituality within a context where science and medicine are seen as the primary solutions I think, you know, we are rightly uh, hearing from many, many places of, of authority in our society, uh, kind of how the decisions that are being made are being guided by science and being guided by health experts. And this, uh, on one level, should give us great confidence. It is very good that we are grounding uh, decisions about how to handle uh, a public health crisis with the kind of the best that scientific knowledge has produced. At the same time, it seems quite clear also from this, this conversation that we're having that many of the, the problems that, that this unique crisis is kind of uh, revealing to us are not ones that can be solved only by scientists. There are clearly moral and spiritual challenges, moral and spiritual possibilities that we can respond to uh, in this particular moment. But actually, in, in considering the kinds of uh, problems that we've been discussing, things like, you know, economic inequality, uh, you know, food supply uh, challenges in our society, these are, these are questions that we are able to think about in a particular way because of the language of spirituality, because of our kind of moral, that like the, the moral intuitions that we have and we are the, the urgency that we feel of these things are kind of brought, brought out by our kind of moral and, and uh, uh, spiritual senses. But in order to solve those problems, we also need to draw on science. We also need to uh, draw on the best that, that, you know, this, this system of knowledge of science has, has produced for humanity. So hopefully in kind of drawing on the power of religion and also drawing on the power of science, somehow these two ways of uh, looking at the world, these two systems of knowledge bring us to the other one as well. Yeah, I was just thinking a little bit about 
science and religion. And I really appreciate the clarity that you brought to that, Eric. And I was thinking, you know, science, science gives us so much that we know. It's like the realm of the known. And even, you know, in my bad habits of scrolling news and overreading and trying to understand, you know, there's always this human desire that we want to understand. We have this thirst for knowledge, which is so excellent. But then I feel this pull, this collective pull of us all realizing that we have to get so comfortable with uncertainty right now and so comfortable with all that we don't know. And that to me is also the realm of religion. It's the realm of sitting with something that is unknown and, and at the same time having trust. And that's such a tricky kind of path to walk. And in a sense, saying, saying my prayers or really thinking about my relationship with the creator, the purpose of my life, my mortality, all of this is really kind of, it's, it's goes a lot deeper than all of the scrolling and trying to just know as much as I can know. And, you know, Esther, you, you were saying, you know, we don't want to go back to normal, but we want to have a new normal. So with that, I would like to ask each of you to answer one last uh, question, perhaps, so that we can finish our time together here today. But the question is, what are your hopes for society as we emerge from this crisis to this new world, as you called it? So I don't know whoever would like to, to, to step in. While in no way I want to happiness wash, a term I you know, learned the other day, uh, the immense difficulty and sorrow that COVID-19 is bringing to so many, um, I'm also seeing this beautiful return to front porch living, neighborhood care, consciousness for the earth, and immense concerning care for the most vulnerable in our midst. And I'm seeing people check in regularly with the elderly, honor healthcare workers, turn to religious leaders return to religious text um, check in on those living alone their neighbors people we should have a consciousness for as I was mentioning all year round so I hope uh, that we can return really just at base level to conversations about what we believe um, how we believe that that implicates us to use the language of Steve Garber um, and obligates us uh, to care for and accompany those to whom we're surrounded to to um, honor for me to honor and glorify God and to remember that from him I come and to him I'm returning and that we can collectively begin to recover a sense of how our faith can provide a source of hope and purpose and um, a blueprint a framework a scaffolding of how we can better belong to one another thank you Hannah that was beautiful (laughs) so I think I would go back to this idea of illusion that Eric kind of brought language to about how essentially we've been living in, I think, a world that has had a number of illusions or even like veils up about what is actually going on. And it seems like this global crisis is sort of burning away a lot of those veils and allowing us to see what was behind the curtain all along. My hope is that this collective crisis will be a huge burning of that veil and will really allow us to shed our illusions about what is actually going on here in a way that all of humanity can be empowered to contribute towards, you know, a a civilization we would all want to be part of. Um, And I think bringing that down to kind of a very practical day-to-day 
level, I think even thinking about the education of children, I think there's been a lot of really interesting conversations amongst communities, amongst parents, thinking about young people and what it means to go to school and how to replace that at home and what that starts to look like. And even these questions around, well, what is true education? Is true education having a child hooked up to a computer all day long and saying, well, they did what the teacher asked and this is what, you know, the, the school board has asked? Or is true education to just live in the rhythm of their family for that day and discover things along the way? Is true education rooted in community? Is it rooted in service? Is it rooted in... And all of this is kind of coming to light through this crisis. And there seems to be opportunities, even at the level of policy, say, around education, for people to look at this and say, okay, what illusions have we burnt away here? What really is helping young people to advance and to contribute and to gain knowledge about how they can help their societies? So I hope that those illusions will kind of dissipate and we can come home to our actual oneness. I think my, my hope for society um, is, is that, this, that this crisis somehow allows us to see ourselves more accurately as, uh, as one. Um, that it somehow brings home to us the oneness of humanity, how we are all, regardless of kind of where we live or what our circumstances are, that our our fates are bound up together, our lives are bound up together, uh, and that I hope that we can draw on, both individually and as a society, kind of draw on the resources of kind of our spiritual and religious traditions in order to in order to kind of have the conviction to not let that just be kind of a passing realization, but to allow it actually to, to exercise kind of a concrete influence on the structures of society. Um, so that would be my hope. It's been a true pleasure to have this conversation with you all today. I've learned so much from all of your experiences and your insight. Thanks so much. Thank you. Great. You have been listening to the Public Discourse, a podcast by the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs. You can learn more about the Baha'i Faith at baha'i.ca and follow the work of our office at opa.baha'i.ca, where you will find links to our social media handles on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.